The book of 1 Peter is really an amazing book. It's one of my favorites. And in the book of 1 Peter, no less than 25 times does Peter talk about suffering and trouble, oppression, persecution, the various things that we're going to go through in life, whether just naturally because that's the way life is or because we're Christians. And yet, amazingly enough, despite this emphasis on all the bad things that we endure in this life, five times within this book, he points out that we're supposed to rejoice and have joy. We might hear that and wonder how on earth we're supposed to accomplish such a thing. And yet, Peter himself said that we're supposed to rejoice with joy inexpressible. I want us to talk about that tonight. How can we accomplish that? Peter here talks about all these negative things and yet tells us to rejoice with joy inexpressible. Did he give us any ideas as to how? Any things that we need to think about? Any attitudes that we ought to have? Any actions that we ought to take to help us accomplish this great thing of rejoicing with joy inexpressible. In fact, I believe as we look through the book of 1 Peter, we can find seven ideas or concepts, actions or thoughts or attitudes that we find here that will help us accomplish this. Things that we need to remember, things that we need to do, things that we need to learn. And I'd like to share those with you tonight. The very first of these is the fact that we need to remember that we are not alone. When we're going through suffering, whether it's through persecution or just because of the natural walk of life, we need to remember that we are not alone. We are not the only people in the world that are dealing with what we are dealing with. We are not the only Christians in the world that go through suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says this. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter says we can resist the devil when he tempts us because of suffering. Because we can remember this is part of being a child of God. I'm not the only one. I haven't been singled out. God has not singled me out and said, well, I'll let Edwin suffer. This is just part of being a Christian. And brethren, the world over, go through this. And brethren from all times have dealt with this. I recognize that knowing that others are hurting does not make our pain any less. And I don't expect it to. But knowing that we're not alone is very helpful. You take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's a great cloud of witnesses. We can look at numerous brethren, saints, children of God from both covenants that have gone through suffering and they've endured. In fact, when we consider the ones about whom the Hebrew writer is speaking, we can look in Hebrews 11, verse 36. 
Beginning in halfway through verse 35, it says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Remembering this can help us by, first of all, pointing out that, you know what? Maybe what I'm suffering is not all that bad. But number two, if I can look at these folks and they did it, I can make it also. Peter says, rejoice with joy inexpressible by remembering. You're not alone. Others have gone through this and others have endured. And so can you. The second thing we learn from the book of 1 Peter is that suffering indicates that we have the Spirit of God. Look in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 14. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He's blasphemed, but on your part He's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Our suffering specifically when it's caused because we are Christians, because we are going to do what's right. When others mock us and persecute us and make fun of us and exclude us, Peter says that's an indication that you have the Spirit of God. We have a tendency to believe that when we're going through suffering, that means that God's not with us. Peter says it's the exact opposite. If we're going to rejoice with joy inexpressible, what we have to remember is that the suffering we go through as Christians is an indication of God being with us. And I can rejoice in that. Keep in mind, he says, not all suffering indicates this. So don't suffer because you're a murderer or a busybody or because you're a thief. If you're suffering because of those things, cast in jail, punished, God's not with you in that. But when we're suffering because we're children of God, He says, God's with us. And we can do as Peter says Jesus did in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, when Jesus was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. When we're going through suffering because we're Christians, we're able to commit ourselves to God. He's going to take care of us. That's what Jesus understood. He knew that in the midst of all His suffering and persecution, He could commit Himself to God. And He could trust God to take care of things. And that's exactly what He did. When we keep this in mind, we remember what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, beginning. Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. That's what Peter's pointing out to us. When we're suffering as Christians, we can rejoice because that's the way it's always been. And our reward will be great. 
What we really ought to be concerned about is when everybody's saying all kinds of good things about us. When the whole world can accept us, then we've got problems. Rejoice with joy inexpressible. Because our suffering demonstrates that our faith is genuine. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, Peter says, <coughs> excuse me, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is all this happening to us? It's demonstrating our faith is genuine. Just as gold is tried in the fire to get rid of all the impurities, so our faith is tested in the storms of life to demonstrate its genuineness, to get rid of the impurities so that our genuine faith can rise to the top and demonstrate who and what we are. It's often said that you can tell what kind of person someone really is when they're suffering. And that's exactly the case. How do we respond to suffering? When we respond to God with joy. Inexpressible. Turning to Him and leaning on Him. We're demonstrating that we have a genuine faith. A true faith that God is proud of and that God wants from us. I can rejoice with joy inexpressible because I realize that God is with me and He's bringing up this genuine faith. And I remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. We read this passage this morning, but let's read it again. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There are times in our lives when we're facing the suffering and the temptation. And we think in our minds, what on earth is God trying to do? Is He trying to crush me? Absolutely not. Because He's promised that He won't ever allow anything to happen to us that we can't handle. What is He doing? He's making our faith genuine. He's helping us realize that we've got to lean on Him and trust Him. And that's what's going on here. A growth process. And we can rejoice in that. That God looks down on us enough and loves us enough that He will allow us to deal with what we can handle and grow to be more like Him and have a genuine faith. Isn't that awesome? We can rejoice in that when we remember that our suffering demonstrates a genuine faith. We move on and recognize that we can rejoice when we remember that our suffering is only for a little while. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by your various trials. And also at the end of the book, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, 
Peter, almost as if it's a bookend, says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while. This isn't going to last forever. We can rejoice remembering that this too shall pass, as the old cliched statement goes. We're not going to be enduring this forever. Just like that running we were talking about today. I can do anything for a day. I I can do anything today. I can make it. This isn't going to last forever. What's going to last forever? Eternity. Heaven. I want you to think about this. Which would you prefer? 80 to 90 years of absolute bliss and luxury and fun and then an eternity of torment in hell? Or 80 to 90 years of suffering? Certainly there are happinesses, blessings that come from God, but hardships and trials that we deal with. But then an eternity in heaven with bliss and happiness and joy. Which would we prefer? Far too often we, we trade the greater reward of eternal happiness for a momentary pleasure and escape from something that's temporary anyway. I don't know how long the troubles you're going to be dealing with will go on. I don't know. It could be years. But I do know it will end. But our troubles won't end if we turn to the devil and follow his way and turn our backs on God just because we don't understand why we're suffering. We can rejoice remembering it's only for a little while. And then the glories of heaven. Isn't that awesome? We can rejoice with joy inexpressible. Because when we suffer, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus has not asked us to do anything that He hasn't done Himself. We can look in the book of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus suffered and set an example for us. In chapter 3, beginning at verse 18 of 1 Peter, Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive, to the, made alive by the Spirit. Well, I tell you, when I think about our suffering and Christ's suffering, it makes me think of the thief on the cross who recognized, I'm suffering, but I deserve it. Here's Christ's suffering, and He didn't deserve it. When we suffer, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. We are becoming like Him. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Oh, we want the good stuff. We want power. We want people to listen to us. We want folks to talk to us and and listen to our teaching. Well, if we're going to be like Jesus, though, we're also going to have to have the suffering. Following in His example. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? In John chapter 15, as He was preparing His disciples for His departure, in verse 18, John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they'll do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. There's going to be folks that hate us and mock us and persecute us, and they think they're serving the Lord. Jesus points out, follow my example. If we're going to be like Jesus in the teaching and in all those other things, guess what we're also going to be? We're going to be like Him in suffering. And we can rejoice when we're suffering as Christians because we know we're becoming like Christ. We're being like Jesus. And don't we all want that? But here's one of the great things about recognizing that we're be like Jesus is that Jesus' sufferings didn't end with suffering. They ended with glory. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, Peter says that talking about the prophets, they were searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And verse 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, talked about all the suffering that he was going through, but notice in verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. When we're following in the example of Jesus' suffering, we'll also follow in the example of his glory. More on that in just a moment. But we can also rejoice with joy inexpressible, even through our suffering when we remember what will happen to those who cause our suffering. One of two things is going to happen for those who cause us to suffer. Hopefully, the first one. Hopefully, they'll realize their wickedness and repent and share in the same forgiveness that we have from our wickedness. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Beginning at verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. How are they going to glorify God in the day of visitation? Because since they've observed our good works, they decided to become one of us. That's what he's talking about there. First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. When he's talking about the gospel being preached to those who are dead, he's talking about those who are spiritually dead. Why? So that men may judge them, but the Spirit will give them life. These are folks who, having been dead in sins, have heard the gospel and repented and turned to God. And they're no longer oppressing and persecuting us. But if they don't do that, God demonstrates that they don't get away with it. I think that's one of the things we have a hard time understanding. When folks are doing things bad and they've been bad to us, whether it's because of Christian persecution or whether it's abusive parents or abusive spouses or bad bosses or whatever, we sit back and think, why do they get away with that? What we want to do is we want to rail at them and give them back to them what they've given. And then you hear some preacher like me say, you're not allowed to do that. And you say, why are they allowed to get away with it? They're not. Maybe they're not getting their judgment on our timetable, but God points out to us, nobody gets away with it. Except for those who repent 
and turn to Christ and have their sins forgiven. But if folks won't repent, Peter's very plain in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, In regard to these, they think it strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We can be certain that if those who cause our suffering do not repent, they will give accounts. They're not getting away with anything. And I think we can rejoice in that. Not because we want that to happen to anyone. We want the first. We want folks to repent and be forgiven, don't we? But we can remember that God is the judge. And we can commit ourselves to Him. And He says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not ours. And we can rejoice in knowing that God will take vengeance. You remember those souls under the altar? How long they cried out. God said, Just wait, I'll take care of it. And that's exactly where we are. God tells us, I'll take care of it. Nobody gets away with anything. It may not happen on our timetable, but we can be assured that they will give account. And the number one reason that we can rejoice with joy inexpressible even in the midst of suffering is because we know where our suffering leads. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, we read it just moments ago. Do you remember how it ended? We keep reading there. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, 1 Peter 1, 6, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith. What is the end of our faith? The salvation of your souls. That's the end of it. That's where it's leading. That's where it's taking us. And when we look at the end and not at the moment we're in right now, we can rejoice. Too often we spend our time focusing on what's happening now and not looking at the big picture and where all of this is going. Peter says, look ahead. You're suffering for a little while, but look at the end. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, the other place where it talked about suffering for a while. He says, but may the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is where our suffering is taking us. It's causing us to grow. It's settling us. It's strengthening us. It's providing salvation for us. And when we think about that, the end, not the moment, then we can rejoice. This is such a constant theme throughout Scripture. But in our day of luxury, sometimes we miss it. I think at times we think today that we ought not go through any suffering. But the Bible says over and over again, Acts 14.22, Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. Paul is going back through the churches that he's just recently established. And in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, he's appointing elders. And the Scripture there says that he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, Acts 14, 22, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. If we want the glory, it's going to be through tribulation. We look in Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. Paul there says that we're children and children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Do we want to be glorified with Christ? Then we've got to suffer with Christ. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. Actually, let's just go ahead and begin at verse 8. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the Word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we suffer, we reign. If we endure it. He suffered and then was glorified. We'll suffer and be glorified. The book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, as it talks about those seven letters to the seven churches, what does it say over and over again? It says, y'all are going to have a tough time. But to him who overcomes, all kinds of blessings he provides there. That's the scriptural message. We're going to suffer. But the end of our suffering is what we need to be focusing on. And when we do that, as Peter said, we can rejoice with joy inexpressible. That's what we've got to focus on. God never promised us an easy life. God never promised that His children wouldn't go through the normal sufferings. In fact, what He promised is that His children would have it worse than everyone else. Because not only would we have the normal sufferings of life, but folks aren't going to like us and they're going to want to make us suffer more. What we have a tendency to want to do today is see if there's some way that we can make Christianity palatable to the world so that they'll all like us and we won't have to suffer. But it doesn't work. Jesus said, you can't be greater than the Master. Could Jesus accomplish that? Was Jesus able to come down into the world and make everybody like what He had to say so that He wouldn't have to suffer? If Jesus wasn't able to do it, neither will we be able to. And so what we need to do is just stick with the Word of God and endure. And when we endure, we will reign. We can rejoice about that, can't we? Think about the end. Think about where all this is going. Don't think about what's happening today. Think about heaven. And that what you're going through now is getting you there. We can rejoice in that.